The False Prince, Chapter 46. It wasn't a large room, but it was clean and pleasant and would be enough for the three of us for one night. Two small beds stood along one wall. I helped Connor push Imogen's bed against the opposite wall, then quickly offered to sleep on the floor. I'm still an orphan and you're still a noble, I said to Connor. You should have the other bed. Of course I should, and watch your tongue when saying, I'm still a noble. I will always be a noble if you hope to remain a prince. My mistake, I said, putting on whatever expression of humility he would expect to see. Imogen and I took a sheet off her bed and hung it from the ceiling. It wasn't a perfect solution for her privacy, but it was the best any of us could hope for. She removed one of the blankets from her bed for me to sleep with on the floor. I put myself directly between hers and Connor's beds. Connor's beds. He noticed. You think I'd try any mischief with that disgusting girl? I knew her mother, who was worthless too. Imogen's safe with me, boy. It's you she should be worried about. I let the comment pass. No doubt she was worried about me. But for entirely different reasons. It was very late at night when I heard her roll off her bed onto her feet. Connor's snoring was ferocious, so it was no surprise that he didn't hear her and wake up. She stepped from behind the hanging sheet and touched my shoulder. I sat up and she put a finger to her lips, then motioned for me to follow her. In the chance that Connor did awake, I positioned my blanket so that in the darkness it would appear someone was here. But I'd learned from more than one time in his presence during the night that he never woke up. Once on Imogen's side of the makeshift curtain, she pointed to the window. "'Are you too warm?' I asked. "'Can you take me out there?' she whispered. "'Is it safe?' I inched, I inched the window open, examined the wall in the moonlight, and nodded. In typical Carthian style, a ledge had been built directly below the window. I crawled through the window first and then helped her through. The night was cool and the breeze had picked up somewhat, but she didn't seem to hate me right now, so it was probably our last chance for any private conversation. We sat on the ledge and leaned against the wall of the inn, letting our legs dangle below. "'Do you often go out on ledges at night?' I asked." "'You do. I saw you once crawling around the walls of Farthenwood,' she shrugged and said. "'I don't think you saw me watching you, though.' "'I hadn't seen her, which was amazing because I'd always watched carefully for anyone below me on the grounds. "'I couldn't sleep,' she added. "'All I could think about was the carriage ride. "'Rodin is so angry with you. Is he? "'With so much cheerfulness in that ride, I barely noticed.' "'She ignored that. "'Doesn't he understand why you brought him? "'What would have, what would have happened if you'd left them behind?' I was silent. It was nothing new to have someone mad at me, but Roden's anger bothered me. I couldn't quite figure out why. Back at Farthenwood, I said horrible things to you, Imogen continued. I don't know why I said them. <laughs> Maybe I deserved some of it. No, you didn't. I blamed you for my own worries about coming to Drilliad, leaving the safety of Farthenwood. But now that I'm gone, I can't imagine returning there. Anything is better than Farthenwood. She lowered her eyes. I'm sorry. I should have trusted you. I deserved no trust, and yet she asked my forgiveness? Could she see me in the dark and how her words bit into my heart? Or did I have no heart, no soul? Connor had said he must prepare to sacrifice our very souls to bring Prince Jaren to, th to the throne. I had done just that, although not in the way Connor thought. Are you nervous about tomorrow, Sage? Yes. Even with the truth on my side, there was so much that could go wrong. Don't be. You look so very like him in that painting that they're sure to accept you. I watched you as we rode in the carriage. If I'm not careful, I may be calling, begin calling you Jaren myself. Would you? For reasons I couldn't explain, even to myself, I longed to hear someone call me by my real name. I was tired of Sage. There were so many things I disliked about him lately. She hesitated a moment before smiling. Right now?
What am I supposed to call you? Jaron or Prince or Your Majesty or what? I shook my head. They all sound so wrong for me. But after tomorrow, there will be no more Sage. Only Jaron. Her smile fell. I could see the curves of her mouth by the light of the moon- midnight sky. I won't know, Jaron. Don't make me give up Sage yet. There was nothing I could say to that. A wisp of her hair blew in the nighttime breeze. I caught the hair and tucked it behind her ear. She smiled, then reached up for a pin and passed. I'm sorry, for a pin and fastened it again, always maintaining her neat servant's braid. I wonder if she could ever learn to see herself as something other than a servant, something greater. We should probably go inside. Imogen sat up straight. I can't imagine what would happen if Connor found us out here. <laughs> We're not doing anything wrong, I said, and I'm not afraid of him. But I am. Will you help me in? I stood, and then, and when my footing was secure, I helped her to to stand. But instead of turning to re-enter the window, she faced me. Back at Farthenwood, you told me there were more things happening than I understood. What did you mean by that? I pressed my lips together and then said, I mean, I meant that there's a big difference between acting like a prince and being a prince. If you see me after I'm crowned, will you try to talk to me as Jaren? Can you do that? Without answering, she crouched down to the window. Before she returned to the room, she paused and said, You'll become a king tomorrow the most powerful person in the land, but I'm still Imogen, a servant girl. After tomorrow, it will no longer be appropriate for me to talk to you. Before I could answer, she disappeared through the window. By the time I climbed through the, er, climbed through and shut it tightly, she was already back in her bed. Her message was clear. I was a prince now, and she returned to being Imogen the Mute. Chapter 47 Morning came early. I barely slept, if at all. One thought after another had tumbled through my mind faster than I could make sense of it. For most of the past four years, I had accepted the idea that I would be sage for the rest of my life. Letting that go and allowing myself to be Jaren again was much more difficult than I had anticipated. I was already awake when... Excuse me. (coughs) I was already awake when Connor tried to kick me into consciousness, so his foot hit my hands and nothing worse. Then he called for Imogen to wake up and go downstairs to order us a breakfast. Ours was to be served in our room. Then she could take something to the boys in the carriage. He gave her no instructions on what or on when she could eat. We'll stay here in the room until it's time to leave. I've got only hours left to prepare you for, for presentation. I'm prepared, I grumbled. Connor smirked at me. I would have expected more humility from you today. Our highest priority is to rehearse the order of action tonight. And don't try to tell me you know about that. I didn't. Tell me then. Get up, get dressed, and straighten this room first, or else the maids will wonder about our arrangement last night. I have a few duties for Mott to attend to this morning, and I must speak with with him about them. By the time I dressed and replaced the hanging sheet and my blanket on Imogen's bed, Connor was returning with Imogen behind him. She carried a tray that she set on a table in our room. I wondered if she had risked speaking to the staff to order our breakfast, or if not, how she had communicated our order to them. Maybe it was a good thing you brought her along, Connor said. It's handy to have a traveling servant. I thought that's what Maud is for, I said. He's more than a common servant. Surely you've noticed that by now. Imogen left as quickly as she could, and Connor handed me a plate filled with hotcakes, eggs, and thin slices of bacon. It's a large breakfast, I said hungrily. This is nothing compared to what lies ahead for you. Once you're the prince, you may tell your servants anything you wish to eat, and they will provide it. They will feed it to you if you desire. I don't. There's no need to tempt me for this position, Connor. You have me. Now, tell me about court tonight. 
All 20 of the king's regents will meet in the throne room at 5 o'clock. Also, there will be the king's closest advisor, the High Chamberlain, Lord Kerwin. No need for you to know all their names. Jaren likely would not have known them, so no one will expect you to. I didn't know all of them, but there were some I expected to recognize. Kerwin would know me best. He suffered through my childhood beside my family, but would he recognize me after all this time? It was doubtful. I'd changed a lot in four years. Connor continued. The first act of the meeting will be the, to officially announce the deaths of the king, queen, and crown prince Darius. 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 I winced at that. Connor didn't notice. He never had before, either. The announcement is merely a formality. Most of the regents have known this from the start, and the others will have heard enough rumors to confirm the likelihood in their minds. Then we'll have a report from the three regents who traveled to Venia to seek any news as to the life or death of Prince Jaren. They will report a confirmation that he's dead. How do you know that? I asked. Because he's dead, Connor snapped. Who do you think hired the pirates so many years ago? The news knocked the wind from my lungs. It overwhelmed any sense of pretense I'd been able to maintain thus far with him. All that kept me from attacking him was the knowledge that I still wanted him with me in the castle tonight. Why? My voice was hoarse. I didn't trust myself to say anything more. I thought it'd force us into war with Avenia. Eckbert stood by and did nothing for year after year while Avenia inched its way deeper into Carthian lands. But if Avenian pirates killed his son, he'd be forced to act. Unfortunately, despite the pirates' assurances to me that everyone on the ship went down, Jaren's body was never found. Eckbert was able to appease his critics by saying he wouldn't go to war until he had Jaren's body as evidence in the attack. However, Avenia has backed off since their suspected involvement in Jaren's death, so... In a way, my plan worked better than I could have hoped for. Our borders are safer and no, no war was needed. Connor paused, as if he expected me to say something. What did he want? Congratulations? He seemed to sense my discomfort, then added, I know the secret is safe with you because you can't reveal it without betraying your own true identity. No, I mumbled. I can't betray my identity. Yet. Connor brushed his hands together as if, that, er, as if the matter were settled. So, let's continue. When the three regents report that Jer Prince Jaren is dead, this will be the time when, as the High Chamberlain Lord Kerwin will stand and declare that a new king must be chosen. However, before he stands, I will come forward and announce the regents are wrong about Jaren's death. That's when I will introduce you to the court. There will be a bit of commotion initially, but Kerwin will have you brought to him. There will be a several, or several questions, a careful examination of you. It will take some time, and no matter what they say, you must answer calmly and with confidence. You must keep your sharp tongue under control, and you must not make a single mistake. Can you do it? I can. That pleased Connor. Good. We'll work on your answers through much, through much of the day. Make sure you know everything to say, and of course, I'll be there to assist should you get into any trouble. I pushed my plate aside, unable to eat anything else. Connor pushed it back to me. You must have your energy today. I shoved my chair behind me and stood. You said you, can't, or you have proof I can offer them. What is it? Later. Connor said. You don't get that unless I'm certain you're going to declare or be declared prince tonight. You have only a few hours to learn everything else you must know. If you finish eating, are you ready to get started? I closed my eyes and tried to control my breathing. My heart raced at the prospect of that of all that lay ahead of me that day. No matter what Connor told me or tried to teach, one thing was certain. I was not, nor would I ever be, ready. But that wasn't what he wanted to hear, so I looked at him and said, Okay, let's begin. Chapter 48 
Connor drilled, the, or drilled me nonstop for four hours. He refused to answer any knock on the door with more than an order of, go away, and denied my request for a break to step outside and clear my head. I didn't care about much of most of what he told me, but I had to remember it for now, word for word, in order to repeat it back to him. Finally, in the late afternoon, Connor announced I was ready to go before the court. He declared himself an excellent teacher due to the fact that I had learned so much in such a short period of time. Little did he guess how much his student already knew. Yet, there were a few things I did not know, things I had been too young to understand when I left there as a child. Connor had provided me with details of Jaren's early life. With such intimacy, I had asked him how he could know so much. I read the Queen's diaries, he said. She wrote about Jared often. Did she? It was impossible to sound as if I didn't care what my mother had really thought of me, and the curiosity burned my heart. I knew she loved me, because all mothers love their children, but she had stood with my father when they first sent me away, and I'd never quite gotten over that. Jaren had the reputation for being a difficult child, I said. Did she ever forgive him for that? Connor smiled. Interesting choice of words, Sage. To assume she thought there was anything about Jaren that needed forgiveness. She believed he was just like her. He may not or he may have been or he may have been difficult, but she loved him all the more for it. We had to move on quickly from that conversation. It was too close to me, too hard to think about. Connor also provided me with a convenient story of how I escaped the pirates. According to him, I had seen their ship approaching and escaped in a rescue boat moored to the ship. I had hidden in Avenian orphanages in fear all this time, coming forward only when I heard rumors of the death of Eckbert and Aaron. I urged him to change the story a little. Have me hiding at Mrs. Turbledee's orphanage. That way, if any of them claim to know me, we can acknowledge it was me, but in disguise the entire time. Connor's face brightened. This is why you'll convince them tonight. You have a great gift for thinking fast when necessary. So, when Connor announced that I was finally ready, I was not prepared for what happened next. He invited Mott into the room, who was carrying rope in one hand and a length of fabric in the other. Mott's face was pale, and he entered the room barely able to look at me. Are you ill? Connor asked him. No, sir. I just... We can't do this. Then he glanced at Connor with moist eyes. I understood. Mont shook his head. If you knew this boy, do it. I turned. Or I said, turning to Mont. It took all of my strength to force the words out, knowing what was coming. You're Connor's miserable dog, aren't you? Without warning, Connor grabbed me around the neck where he, had, or where he held me while Mont tied my hands. I noticed he gave me a little slack on my wrist, but it didn't matter. Despite the churning inside me, I had to let Connor do what he was going to do. Then Connor released me, and Mott tied a gag in my mouth. He still refused to look at me, but I saw deep creases in the lines of his face. He wasn't any, any happier about what was going to happen than I was. Remember, Mott, don't leave any marks, Connor said. Mott put a hand on my shoulder and for the first time looked into my eyes. He squeezed my shoulder gently, his attempt at an apology, then speared his fist into my gut. I stumbled backwards and fell onto the floor. It was difficult to draw in a breath, especially with the gag between my teeth, and I barely had time to recover before Mott yanked me to my feet again. He unfastened the top three buttons of my shirt, then walked behind me and hooked my arm around my elbows, pulling my bound hands tightly against me. I grunted from the pain in my shoulders and down my back, but he gave me no room for movement here. Connor withdrew a knife from a sheath and walked up close to, close to me. He put the tip of the blade against my chest and held it there. I know it was Tobias who tried to kill you before, he said, but he couldn't do it because he's weak. A leader needs to be strong, Sage. Do you believe that? I didn't move. All I could focus on was the point of the blade. Of course you did. Or of course you do. 
You killed Veldegrat's man when he tried to attack Imogen. So you can be strong, and I admire that. But you must know when to be strong and when to give up control. In a very short time, you'll become the leader of Carthia. Before that happens, I need to make it very clear what the arrangements will be between you and me. No marks, Master Connor, Mott said. Connor glared at Mott, clearly annoyed. But he lightened the pressure of his knife and said to me, You will be king in any decision a king may make. However, from time to time, I will have suggestions for you. You will obey them without question or hesitation. If you do not, I will expose you as a traitor to the crown. And believe me when I say I can do it with no danger to myself. If you do not obey me when I give the command, then you will be publicly tortured and hanged in the town square for treason. Princess Amarinda, if she is your wife by then, will be expelled from Carthia to forever live in humiliation. And if you have any children, they will die of starvation and shame. Do you believe I can make this happen? I still did not move. Connor's face twisted in rage. He reared back and with his free hand punched me again in the gut. Mott still braced me from behind, so there was nothing I could do but but bite down on the gag and groan in muted pain. He hit me two more times, once in the chest and one once on my shoulder. Then he ripped me away from Mott and threw me to, on the floor. He knelt beside me and hissed into my ear. You are nothing other than what I have made you into. I have followed through on my threats to other royals, attempt to betray me and, and meet their fate. Do you understand? I nodded, and he lifted me back into a sitting position. He said, In your first act as king, you will remove Veldegrath as a regent. Tell the court you suspect Veldegrath may have something to do with your family's deaths, and you refuse to have him as a sitting regent in the court. Your second act as king will be to install me as your prime regent. I don't care who you replace Veldegrath with, though, as your prime regent, I am happy to recommend names if you are unfamiliar with them. Do you agree to this? I nodded again. With his knife, Connor cut the ropes binding my wrists, then sliced through the gag on my mouth. As soon as he did, I spat at him. He wiped the spit off my face, then slapped me hard across my cheek. This would be much easier if you accepted that what I want is, better, is a better situation for us both, he said. You are the lowest form of life Carthia has to offer, yet I am making you a king. Stop fighting me, Sage, and let us be friends. He seemed disappointed that I gave him no response. Then he stood up and said to Mott, Clean him up and get him dressed. I'll have Imogen bring something to eat very soon. Do not leave him alone until I return. Then he wiped his hands, straightened his jacket, and left the room.